for the week or the month, and it can be a distraction for us to hear what God wants to say and for us to see what God wants to do. I believe firmly that this morning in particular, um, that God wants to exercise his power and authority in this room with us. I have no agenda of what that is going to look like, but I believe firmly that God has called us to be obedient to his word, not just obedient to his word, but to have faith that his word is true and that what God said he would do, he will do. So this morning, we are continuing in our series in the book of Mark, and uh, what we've been doing is we've been asking this simple question as the lens through which we've been studying, and it's this, who is Jesus? And we said that in Mark's gospel, he, he wants us to understand a few key points. And, and guys, there are many different ways to read God's Word. You could do a verse-by-verse -verse exposition and go, God, what does verse 1 in chapter 1 mean for me? Lord, you are good, and we are family, and it is amazing. Hey, Bobby, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'll be funny. We could do an, expos uh, an expositional verse-by-verse -verse, uh, study of the book of Mark. We're not doing that. We're not even going to do a topical study. We are asking this simple question. What does Mark want to communicate to his audience? We believe that he answers the question, who is Jesus? He is the one who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who casts out demons. He's the one who heals the sick. He's the one who does the miraculous. He's the one who teaches with authority. And he's the one the disciples misunderstood. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus, the one who heals the sick. Now, I, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to take everything that you understand about healing in the Bible as connected to Jesus and go, okay, this is what I understand. Many of us have heard gospel stories of, of Jesus healing the sick, making the lame walk, the blind to see, and, and we sing songs about these things. I want us to take it a step further, not just go, okay, well, that was what Jesus did. I want us to look at this gospel and this idea of Jesus, the one who heals the sick, and connect it to us. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? And so we're going to look at every single verse in Mark where Jesus uh, has a power encounter where the sick are healed. It's interesting because we, we, we've talked about this in the, the terms of power encounter. Anytime we see the power of God show up, in a miraculous way, either to cast out demons, to heal the sick, where he teaches with amazing authority. And people go, what in the world is going on? We'll call that a power encounter. In Mark, almost one-third of these power encounters have to do with Jesus healing the sick. Let's look at them together. And I'm going to explain them as I go. So the first one we see is in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. <laughs> I love you, buddy. It's where Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. And so Jesus is told about this, and he simply goes to see her, and he takes her by the hand, and the fever left. It was simple. A couple verses later, we see Jesus heals a man with leprosy. He asks this man, or uh, this man asks Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. Mark says that Jesus was filled with compassion. He touched the man, and the leprosy left. And so in this is, instance, what was the motivation for healing? It was Jesus' compassion for that individual. Moving on in verse, uh, Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, we see this story that many of us are familiar with, the paralytic man 
uh, was brought through the roof by his four friends. What's the story? Uh, maybe you saw it on flannel graph when you were younger. Anybody else see? I mean, I'm not that old. Flannel graph, anybody? Okay, so some of us get it. And we see this story where Jesus was teaching, and he was teaching in a house, and the house was filled with people. And these four men brought their friend to Jesus and said, I know that Jesus can heal him. They get to the house, and there's no way for them to get in because it's so crowded. And so they do something crazy. They go to the top of the roof, and they just start digging a hole through the roof, and, and they lower the man through the roof, and Jesus looked at the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Get up and take your mat and go home. Now, there's other stuff going on in this story. The Pharisees were like, what in the world? You know, who are you to forgive sins? And all of this was for Jesus to, one, uh, make evident that he was the one who had the power to heal and the power to forgive and, two, to bring glory to God. Next, we see in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the man with the shriveled hand in the synagogue. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and the Pharisees are like, we're going to catch him this time because it's the Sabbath, and you can't work on the Sabbath. And they're all like puffy and big in their heads, and Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And he says, you know, what's more effective, what's more important for the kingdom, uh, for this man to be healed or not? And he just simply said to the man, stretch out your hand. Didn't touch him, just said stretch out your hand, and he was healed. Mark 5. 25 through 34. There was the woman with the issue of blood, as it says in the King James. She had her period for 12 straight years nonstop, is basically what it amounts to. And so we know this story as well, where this woman, she thinks to herself, I know that Jesus can heal people. I've spent every single dime that I've got. I've talked to the doctors. I've talked to the physicians. I've talked to the spiritual healers, and no one has been able to help me. If I can just touch the edge of his robe, I'll be healed. And she does this. And Jesus stops. He goes, I felt power go out from me. Who touched me? The woman raised her hand, and they had a dialogue, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And so we see faith as a component in this story for healing. What's interesting is just a few verses prior to this, we have a man named Jairus. In verse 21, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is sick. I need you. Well, then he continues to teach, and this woman touches his robe. And shortly after Jesus heals this woman, we see that Jairus' workers come to him and say, I'm sorry, sir, but your daughter's dead. You're too late. And what happens in this scenario is Jesus says, no, she's not dead. She's only asleep. Everyone's laughing, like, what's going on? Jesus goes... And he visits the daughter, takes her by the hand, and immediately she got up. And so what's the scenario here? Jesus wanted to prove people wrong, that death did not stop his healing. We see in Mark 7, 31 through 35, a death and mute man near Tyre. He was brought before Jesus. And Jesus has a great uh, way of healing this man. He says, okay, I'm going to stick my fingers in your ear, and I'm going to spit, and I'm going to touch your tongue. He says, be open. And immediately the man could hear and he could talk. Interesting. Similar story in Mark 8, 22 through 26. There's a blind man at Bethsaida. He's brought to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He spits on the man's eyes and asks, what do you see? And he says, well, it's, uh, I see kind of fuzzy things. I can't fully see again. And so Jesus does it again. 
and his sight is fully restored. Blind man Bartimaeus cries out, Son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus asks the question, What do you want me to do for you? And he replies, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. Here again, faith is a component. And finally, there are a couple of instances, Mark 1.34, Mark 3.10, Mark 6.13, and Mark 6.56, where it simply says, Jesus or his disciples healed many. Well, there you have it. There's all of the instances in Mark of divine healing. Mark wanted his readers to know that Jesus was the one who healed the sick. You can't escape this fact. And so many of us who have grown up in church or have grown up uh, having the Bible as part of our, our background in, in our history, we, we know these stories. We know, okay, Jesus healed the sick. Good job, Jesus. That was great. You needed to establish uh, the reality for those around you that you had power and authority. Good for you. But what does this mean for us? It's interesting because Mark was very purposeful in writing this. He skipped past the creation story, or uh, past the incarnation of Christ. He, he passed the birth of Jesus. He, he passed all that stuff and goes right into he was anointed and baptized by John. And the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove. The Father in heaven declared, this is my son. And then he goes right into the miraculous. Mark fast-tracked the story to get to this stuff. This was important to Mark. And it should be important to us. The sick have been with us ever since the fall of man. It was through Adam and Eve that sickness entered into the world. You understand in the Garden of Eden, prior to Adam and Eve eating of the fruit, sickness did not exist. Death did not exist. There was no need for any kind of healing. Adam and Eve enjoyed a pure relationship with their father. There was no pain, no suffering, no war. It's a relationship that you and I will enjoy when Christ returns. We, as a people, we live between the time of the fall of man and when Christ will return. We live in a world that is in need of healing. And the good news is we have access to the healer. Let's go to the Old Testament for a second. In Exodus 15, 26, God declares a name for himself to his people. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha, which means I am the Lord, the one who heals. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through some principles of divine healing. Why am I doing this? Guys, I'm a pastor at heart. I love to preach God's word. There is a difference between pastors and teachers, preaching God's word and teaching God's word. Sometimes in order for me to get to the preaching the personal application. What does this mean? We've got to go through the teaching. What, what did it mean and how do we apply it to our lives? So I've got some simple points for us uh, of divine healing. First, divine healing is done through the power of God. Man, woman, we have no power or authority to heal anyone in and of ourselves. We'd be foolish to think that we could. God is the one who heals and is the only one who has the authority and power to do so. A.B. Simpson has this to say about divine healing in his book, The Fourfold Gospel. Understand our denomination is built on four pillars. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is 
uh, the sanctifier. Jesus Christ is the healer, and Jesus Christ is the coming king. We believe that all of these things are true, have been true, and will always be true about Jesus and our connection with him. If we are connected to Jesus, then we have a Savior. If we are connected to Jesus and we are desiring to grow in our walk with him, he will sanctify us, which is the process of us becoming more like him. We believe that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the healer. He can heal. He wants to heal. And he uses his people often to pray for healing. And he is the coming king. So he says this in his book, The Fourfold Gospel, A.B. Simpson does. It is the supernatural divine power of God infused into human bodies, renewing their strength and replacing the weakness of suffering human frames with the life and power of God. That's what divine healing is. It is only done by the power and authority of God. Who better to heal than the one who knit us together in our mother's wombs, as it says in Psalm 139? Jesus, God, he knew us before we were born. The one who understands our DNA sequence the one who holds all things together. He is the one who is qualified to heal. Second, divine healing is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I've received pushback on this over the years, and I still stand on this. Jesus was fully God and fully man. I believe when Jesus came to earth that he chose not to operate in his divinity. I am the Son of God. But he chose to operate the same way that he expects us to, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see in Scripture where Jesus asks the Father to guide him, to speak to him. He asks for comfort. He asks for power and authority. He asks for direction. I believe that Jesus operated on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of devil because God was with him. Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's how we are to operate as well. And so when we pray for healing, we're asking God to, to give us his divine power, and he does so through the counselor, the one who Jesus said, I will leave one with you. I will not leave you or abandon you. You will have the Holy Spirit. And it's through his power you'll be able to do these things. Third, Divine healing comes by the grace of God, not through the work of man. It's interesting because we may have different experiences when it comes to praying for healing. I remember the first time I felt God say, hey, I want you to pray for this person. Uh, I was a teenager and somebody had a broken arm. I'm like, you want me to pray that their arm be miraculously healed? That scares the snot out of me. What if it doesn't happen? God, they're going to think I'm nuts worse. They might think that you're not real. God, I can't put you in that position. can't do that. Well, I prayed for healing and nothing happened and I was heartbroken. I said, see God, I knew it. I knew you were going to let me down because now they think I'm a fool. Guys, in that moment, in that season of my life, this was all about me. It had nothing to do with God. It was about my own image. Divine healing comes by the grace of God, not through the work of of man. The New Testament tells many stories of the disciples healing people. And Paul even speaks of, of Christians who are given the gift of healing. But the purpose is the edification of the body and the glory of God. So divine healing is not about us being special. 
It's about God getting the glory. And some of us may have seen people misuse this, this, this gift. I remember watching a documentary on the History Channel or something and, and of, of these, these doctors who, who did healing, and you'd see people, they'd touch the stomach, and, oh, my gosh, it looked like their hand went in the stomach, and they pulled out a tumor, and miraculously, there was no scar, no wound. And come to find out, they had a little blood bag, and they just popped blood, and they pulled out a little worm or something, and it was all fake. Because so many people have misused and abused this desire for healing, this biblical truth that God heals for their own purpose and their own gain. We must not look to man for healing, but rather to God. Now, what am I saying? Don't go to the doctor? No. I believe that God has inspired people to understand anatomy, understand chemistry and biology, so that we can use natural means to bring about and to aid healing. I'm not saying don't ever go to the doctor. What I'm saying is God is the one who heals. Maybe you've seen somebody who's like, hey, I've got the gift of healing, and all you need to do is come to me and give me $19.95, and it'll be fine. We'll be good. And they've abused it because they've taken it on as something for themselves. God heals through man often, but sometimes he just does it because he wants to. People flock to these healers because they are hungry for something more. Keith Bailey wrote a book, called the children's bread and in it he says divine healing is not the performance of man for the glory of men but the power of the holy spirit at work in those who are yielded and committed to the plan and purpose of God. lastly divine healing comes to the believer through faith what do i what do i mean by that it's important to clarify that it is not by faith that a man is healed well, jesus said your faith has healed you Faith plays a role in healing, but faith alone does not determine healing. Guys, I've been in a situation, and maybe you have too, where you've prayed for somebody or you yourself sought prayer for healing, and some religious person came up to you and said, you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith. If you just have more faith, then God would take care of this, but he's waiting on you. And I go, Lord, faith plays a role in healing, but it is not always present. Sometimes it's the friend's faith. The paralytic man, it says nothing about his faith. It had everything to do with the faith of his friends who brought him. Other scenarios, we see Jesus say, your faith has healed you. Sometimes it's because Jesus had compassion. I can't tell you that this is the specific formula for healing, but I know that faith plays a role. And so, yeah, there's a component where you and I have to look in the mirror and go, do I believe? Do I believe that God can heal? Oh, for many of us, we go, absolutely. Do I believe that God does heal? Oh, yeah, I've heard stories. Do you believe that God can heal you or the person you're praying for? Well, I don't know about that. Do you have faith? I love that story in Mark. You guys, um, Josh and Whitney, I think they're back working. A number of years ago, this became a verse for Josh and Whitney as Josh's cancer came back. And it was a... Uh, Oh, gosh, I don't even have the marks. Thank you. You're awesome. And, and we got the shirts. Faith is greater than fear. Hey, Josh Collins, what does faith is greater than fear mean to you?
and I remember having a conversation with you about, you know, your peace, if God doesn't heal me, I'm still going to be okay. Because this is temporary, and that's eternal. Our wives want us here as long as possible. Divine healing comes through faith. You know, it's interesting. Thanks, Josh, for that. In James chapter 5, this is often a verse that people go to when we talk about healing. And it says this, um, James 5, 14 through 16. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It's important to clarify that it is neither the prayer nor the person's faith that does the healing. It's the power of God that does the healing through the Holy Spirit. It's their faith that believes that God has the power and authority to do such a thing. Someone said faith, or God heals, faith receives the healing. Again, people can abuse this and take it in ways that are not ever meant to, uh, intended in Scripture. Uh, Francis McNutt on his book in Healing writes, I do not pretend to have all the answers. I can relate to that. I don't pretend to have all the answers. Far from it. I bow down like Job before the mystery of healing in its connection with suffering. But there are some distinctions we can make that will help us understand the kind of faith we need because faith is often but not always a precondition for healing. It's important to note that faith plays a role but we cannot claim to have complete understanding of what that role will look like every single time. The bottom line is this. God heals, and he does so through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he invites us into this process. We have a responsibility to pray for healing. Not just, well, let's do James 5, take him to the elders, go, go, go. We, as the body of Christ, this should be a part of our DNA what we do as believers. I wanted to take a moment and explain how Jesus' death on the cross connects to Jesus' power to heal. And the theological framework for this, if you are into that kind of thing, is that there is healing in the atonement. The atonement is the work that Christ did on the cross to earn our salvation. There's healing in the atonement. When Christ died upon the cross, he made an atonement for our sins, a payment for our sins, if you will, by taking them upon himself. You guys understand this. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he literally, 2,000 years ago, and even now because time does not exist for God, when you ask for forgiveness, it's like he's taking it on the cross in that moment. God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. We understand this. But what's crazy is he also bore on himself our sickness as well. Matthew makes this connection when he, he quotes Isaiah in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. It says this, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah who took, when he said he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. One commentator writes, the clear meaning is that Jesus did take upon himself our diseases and our mental trouble in precisely the same way that he bore our sins on the cross. 
In the atonement, we have salvation, and there we also find healing. Hear me when I say this. We often equate divine healing to physical ailments. Cancer, diabetes, bunions on your toes, whatever it may be. But I want you to understand that God is a holistic God. And that we are broken people. When Adam and Eve sinned, sickness entered into the world. Anxiety entered into the world. There was no fear prior to this. Emotional issues entered into the world. And so when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he paid the penalty for our sickness, what we're saying is that physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing were all brought for man on the cross. Jesus sacrificed not his, uh, his life not only to give us freedom from sin, but to give us freedom from the effects of sin. Again, Keith Bailey in his book wrote this, Physical Healing is related to vicarious atonement because sickness in man is the direct result of his fallen state. Christ dealt with sickness by dealing with sin. This answers the question, how is healing in the atonement? The perfect atonement of Jesus Christ dealt so completely with sin as to affect the putting away of the fruits of sin, basically saying, hey, you deal with the source, you deal with the issue. You, you deal with the source, you deal with the symptom. By dealing with sin, he's dealing with sickness as well. This is not to say that just because Jesus dealt with our sickness that no believer will ever be sick. Have you ever been sick? Yeah. Guess what? It means that you're human. Bailey continues to say, the benefit of healing and the atonement does not demand that all who exercise faith must have perfect health any more that the benefit of salvation and the atonement demands that all who believe must be sinless in their lives. Let me tell you a story. Pastor Jason. I, I love these. Hey, let's get away from the notes kind of thing for a second. I've grown up in the church. I've prayed for people to be healed from sickness. I've seen some miraculous healing. I've also witnessed where God did not bring healing in different situations. One such situation was in my own life. You see, I have, um, I have a condition. You don't know about this condition. In fact, Miriam and Judy, I think, are the only ones who I've ever talked about this condition to in the room. Um, this condition is somewhat embarrassing. It has a name. Don't let the name fool you. This is real. It's called Steakhouse Syndrome. I'm not telling you that I have a condition where I need steak to make me well. That's not what I'm talking about. Steakhouse Syndrome has another interesting name that I can't pronounce, but it has to do with the narrowing of the esophagus. How many of you have ever choked on food before? Now, how many of you have ever choked on food, but you've still been able to breathe? That's steakhouse syndrome, where food gets lodged in your esophagus below the windpipe. You can breathe, but you cannot swallow. This happened about a dozen times in my life. The last time was about a month and a half ago. We were eating some sort of chicken dinner that was delicious, and I'm scarfing it down. You know what it feels like to eat food really fast because you love it. Elliot's going, yeah, I do. You know, if Elliot likes food, it's gone in five minutes. If he doesn't like it, it takes him an hour. About right? Yeah. So I'm sitting around the dinner table, and all of a sudden, the food gets stuck. I'm like, oh, man, I hate this. Literally, it is so annoying and so frustrating. And so I go, honey, I need to excuse myself. I've got food stuck. And she knows he's going to go out on the porch and make some really loud noises. It's embarrassing. Here's what happens. The food gets stuck deep in your esophagus. It doesn't pass through. 
your saliva, anything that you eat or drink, it just fills up like a cup, your esophagus, until it gets to the top and you have to express it out. And so you're trying to drink water or drink something to force the food down and all of a sudden you're like, and you gotta get it out. I'm sorry, it's disgusting. Here's the problem. If you try to force the food down too hard, you could literally burst your esophagus open. Every single time except one, it was taken care of within 10 to 15 minutes. In 2011, we were having a steak cookout uh, for our apartment complex at the seminary. And it was good steak because I was cooking it, and I was so excited to eat it. And my wife always says, chew your food, honey. Chew your food. I didn't chew well enough, and I got this piece of steak logged lodged in my esophagus. I was not happy because this was very annoying. After 10-15 minutes, it goes from annoying to concern. At 45 minutes, I asked all of the friends that were there, I said, guys, can you pray for me? I'm scared. Pastors, missionary people, people who love Jesus, who know God's word, who are called to ministry full time. Yeah, can you guys pray for healing for me? come around, pray for healing, nothing happens. I think it was an hour or two hours in, I finally listened to my wife and I went to the hospital. And I'm like, God, what's going on? I'm literally scared for my life because I know what could happen. And if I, it, it was not good. They said, hey, uh, we, yeah, we've seen this before. I'm going to give you some nasty medicine. You'll spit it up, but you just keep doing this medicine every 10 minutes and, and it should help. I'm in the hospital for, it seemed like two or three hours. And I'm still wrestling with God. Why aren't you taking care of this? Well, come to find out, the person in the bed next to me in the ER, you know, there's a curtain, not a door often. We start having this conversation. I can breathe. I can talk. I just can't swallow. She's in her mid-20s, and it turns out she has a terminal illness. And she goes, I'm, I'm just here because I had a flare-up of something, and they need to take care of it. Okay. God, do you have a purpose for this? Long story short, throughout the conversation, the hour or two that we spent together, she admitted her need for a Savior, and she accepted Jesus Christ in her life in that hospital room. She went off to get treated. Within a few minutes, the state came up, and I was able to go home. Understand this. We don't always know the reason behind what's happening. So I can look at that experience and go, God, I was scared for my life. But your purpose was this girl's salvation. So often we pray our prayers based on personal desire without asking God, what are you doing in this? So I'm going to tell you that we can have a formula for healing, but it first and foremost involves asking God, what's going on? Sometimes God heals. Sometimes God does not. God is still good. Sometimes we see why we went through what we went through. Sometimes we won't until we get to heaven. God is still good. We don't have to understand every nuance of everything in order for us to have faith in God that he is good. Sometimes God allows things to happen for his glory. Hear me when I say this divine healing is always about God's glory. Always. So if we could formulate a formula, what would it look like? Take notes. Actually, don't. This is complete sarcasm. Uh, compassion, it's important. Sometimes we see that God had compassion and he healed based on compassion. Faith, it's important. Sometimes faith is present in the individual receiving prayer. Sometimes faith is present in those who are asking God to do something. Faith is important. Spit, 
Spit is great. Jesus spit in the man's eyes. If you want to heal somebody, spit in their eyes. Or you could use your fingers, poke them in the ears. Holy clothing, this is important. Ask somebody to touch your robe. And the, guys, listen, sarcasm is my friend. Understand this, that there is no formula. If you do this, you will be healed. There's no rote formula. But understand faith, compassion, and following God's word is important. I have an expectation that God will show up in powerful ways, but I do not have an agenda of what it must look like. If you've ever seen healing abused, then you understand that some of us have a little trepidation about praying for healing. Well, here's a great quote that I use for many different circumstances. The antidote to misuse is not disuse, but proper use. What do I mean? Well, God, Pastor, I was in a church, and oh, one of you shared the story with me, and it broke my heart. There was a church where there was somebody who had a terminal illness, and somebody got a word from the Lord that the person was healed. They said, hey, you're healed. They had this party, this celebration of the healing that took place. And I don't understand all of it, but everyone was like, hey, we're all jacked up on emotion that God healed this person. The person died within a week. And, and they're scratching their heads going, what happened? And then he, someone didn't have enough faith. All your fault. The antidote to misuse is not to say, well, I'm never going to do that. The antidote is to say, you know what? No, we're going to do this the right way. God, what's the right way? How do we pray for healing? Well, there is a, a ministry model that I do want to teach you. Let's read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Guys, check the time. It's 1130. All right? This is teaching. And you may not get all the warm and fuzzies and go, man, I feel great. Thanks, Pastor, for helping us feel good about our faith today. I want us to understand what we're doing, what we're asking you to do as a body of Christ. We believe that we are a community trained and sent to bring the light of Christ into the world beginning with our neighbor. That's what we believe the mission is that God has given us. Being trained and sent involves learning and understanding. Guys, we will pray for healing at the end of the service, but I want us to understand what we're doing before we do it. Let me read this, John 5, 1 through 8. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, uh, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, uh, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And it says some manuscripts don't have this next part, but we understand this. From time to time, the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured, whatever their disease had. Uh, going on, he says, one who had been there, an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's a really important question when you're asking somebody, uh, when you're praying for healing. If somebody says, will you pray for me? Ask that question. It's an important one. Do you want to get well? Some people have their identity wrapped up in their disability, and they don't want healing. They want attention from other people. I'm not saying that's everybody, but I am saying that this is real. Jesus said, hey, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. He didn't say yes. He said, I have no one to help me into the pool whenever the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What's interesting is there were a bunch of other people at the pool. 
Jesus healed one. Continuing on, he says, Jesus gave the answer. He's talking to the Pharisees because they were like, hey, why did Jesus just heal one person? What's going on? I tell you the truth. The Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do that which he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Jesus is saying here that he's not alone that he does what his Father tells him to do. When we pray for healing, we need to do what God is telling us to do. The key to all ministry is intimacy with God. The result of intimacy is a heart and will to do what the Father is doing. The key here is sometimes when people ask for prayer, you have to be willing to do and pray for something other than what they asked for. Follow God's direction. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes, people ask for healing prayer, and this is me. I've asked for healing for things in my life because they've been uncomfortable, and I don't want the pain. Oftentimes, we pray for the symptom to be taken care of, and we don't address the root cause. I've shared in the past how somebody once asked me to pray for healing for their back, and as we're praying, I felt God say, hey, this is not what I want to do right now. I want to heal their bitterness. Oh, okay, hey, so-and-so, you asked me to pray for your back, but uh, do you have any, any anger or bitterness towards anybody? Well, yeah, I do. I said, I think God's telling me that this is connected, that if this bitterness is dealt with, then the, the back will not be hurting anymore. Okay. But I wanted my back to be healed. Well, God wants to heal, but he wants to do it this way. I don't understand how this works all the time, but God knows what he wants to do. Jesus said, I do nothing other than what my Father in heaven tells me. That should be our model for ministry as well. Some of us go, hey, I want healed, but we're living in sin. Oftentimes, God will allow things to happen in our lives to get our attention to deal with the sin. Am I saying that all sin or all sickness is a result of sin? No, I'm not. We see in the Gospels, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, who sinned to make this man sick? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus' response was, no, he's sick so that I can get glory, so my Father in heaven can be glorified. That's it. That's it. Are you willing for God to do whatever he wants to do through you so that he can be glorified? There's another story in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus is, is asked to pray for someone. And he does, but first he casts out a demon. And then he asks for healing. Because sometimes our sickness is demonic in nature, not physical. That sounds like a crazy statement. It's true. So this prayer ministry model, what does this look like? Well, it's interesting. How do we pray for healing? This is something that I want you to pay attention to. Because if we are a community training center to bring the light of Christ into the world, beginning with our neighbor, then it means that we are involved in ministry. Not the pastor only, not the elders only, not the spiritually smart people only. Every single one of us, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he has called you into this. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, will you pray for me? doesn't matter what for. Prayer for healing, prayer for what? Interview them. What do you want Jesus to do? That's a great question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? 
Next. Listen. Listen between the lines. How many of you know somebody who is a storyteller? Well, raise your hand. I, I know a couple in the room. I love you guys. You're amazing. Um, but they have a point they want to make. You know, why did you ask me to come and sit down and talk with you? I'll get to that. 20 minutes later, oh, finally, hey, this is what I'm going to ask you to pray for. Couldn't you have just started with that? Understand this. Sometimes people will share something with you, but that's not the real issue. There's something else going on that they need prayer for. Second, what does this mean? Make a tentative diagnosis. What's going on here? Is, well, wh- why does the person have this condition? Here's the, the interesting thing, and I, my notes are all jacked up. Double listening, listen to the Lord, listen to the person. Is the root physical, emotional, spiritual, or demonic? Guys, we're not going to ignore Mark's purpose for writing his gospel. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, the one who casts out demons. That's a little scary, Pastor. We're going to talk about what? I go, hey, it's what Mark wrote. We're going to unpack it together. What does spiritual warfare look like? Whew, that's a great question. Again, sometimes healing is required because of a spiritual issue. Guys, God has been wrecking my heart in the last couple of weeks. I am just seeing things in God's word that I've either forgotten or he's, he's bringing deeper meaning to. But I'm asking God these questions in my own life because there are areas in my life where I know I walk in God's power and authority. Hands down, I have no fear in certain areas. There are other areas where I go, God, I'm scared to death of this. Why do I not have your power and authority over here? And as I'm asking these questions, he's bringing things to the surface. One specific instance is, hey, there's a spiritual issue that you have never been aware of that has to do with your family. Okay. You want authority in here? And we'll talk about this. Because in Mark, we see him say, hey, the disciples were not able to cast out a certain demon in a certain person. And Jesus' response was, this can only be done through prayer and fasting. Does that mean, oh, I need to pray more and fast more? No, it means that you need to understand that you have the ability to have spiritual authority here. Pray and fast. God, what's the issue? There are people that have authority for healing. You go and you pray, and it seems like all the time people are getting healed. I guarantee there are people in this room right now who have prayed for people and they've been healed. Does that mean that you are super special? No, God loves you just like he loves anyone else. Are you praying for healing? Are you exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given you? We need to be doing this as a people. Some sickness is physical. Some sickness is emotional. Some sickness is spiritual. Some sickness is the result of a demonic influence. Third, invite the Holy Spirit to come. Oh, my goodness. Why? Because... He's going to reveal his will, his plan, and his agenda with his power. Guys, we don't heal. The Lord does through the Holy Spirit. Luke 5, 17, one day as he was teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. What does that mean? This is talking about Jesus. And the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal the sick. What does that mean? It means that sometimes the power is not present for healing to take place. We see Jesus in his hometown say, hey guys, let's get up and get out of here because they're not ready. They're not willing. We need to go where the Spirit's moving. Understand that when we pray for healing, sometimes the power and presence of the Lord is not present for that moment. 
Begin by blessing the person. Listen. It's so easy for us. Somebody asks for prayer. Well, I sense that you're living in sin. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're such a horrible person. We have the tendency to curse instead of bless. Bless the person. Bless them. This should be something that we do throughout the entire time we're praying for them. Bless them with grace, with peace, with hope, with God's love. We're not here to shame or condemn. That's not our, our role. That's not our role. Next, take the situation before the Lord. So, we're interviewing the person. We're, we're, we're figuring out, God, what, what do we think is going on here? We invite the Holy Spirit to come. We bless them. And then we pray. God, would you do what you want to do? So often, and guys, churches are guilty of this. I love James 5, where it says, if you're sick, come to the elders for anointing. Too often, even the elders just walk out of obedience. And I'm not saying, hey, our elders are horrible people. I'm saying even Pastor Jason, sometimes we just walk out of obedience. Okay, you want prayer for your sick? Okay, God, would you heal this person? Amen, we're done. In James chapter 5, the understanding was that James, the elders that he was referring to, they understood their authority. They understood their authority in Christ. And so this was part of the process. It wasn't just, God, would you heal? It's what's going on. Do you want to get well? There's a dialogue that takes place. They follow Jesus' model because they understood their authority. Take the situation before the Lord. Pray, listen, watch. Man, when, when the first time I heard this, hey, why do you not close your eyes when you pray for people? One of my mentors, he goes, well, I want to see what God's doing. What do you mean? Sometimes, oh no, not sometimes, almost every time God's presence falls onto somebody. There is a physical response. Do you understand that we are in our nature spiritual beings living in physical bodies? When our spirit and God's spirit connect, there is a physical response. For me, guess what my physical response is when I'm praying and I feel God show up in power? I start bawling like a baby. That's my physical response. I used to fight it, go, God, I don't want to cry in front of people. I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it. That's it. If you hold this back, you're holding back what I want to do in and through you. Okay. Okay. God, if you want to do this, then bring it, because it's not about me. Keep your eyes open. Watch what God's doing. Sometimes you can be praying for somebody. You can see their physical muscles tense up. I don't think that's nine times out of ten God at work in that person. There's something that they're fighting against, and that's the barrier between them and what God wants to do in their lives. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's a generational curse. Derek, I'm going to ask you next week if you could share a little bit about your story um, with your cousin. Just keep that in mind. Understand that generational sin is an issue. There are patterns in our lives that exist because somebody gave permission at one point or another, authority to the enemy to come in and take up residence. I am a byproduct of generational sin in my family's life. My sin struggles, the areas where, God, I don't feel like I have complete authority. I don't have any temptations in these areas. I, 
I'm like, I, I don't understand how people can struggle with these things because I have no struggle with them. God, you've given me authority over that, but these areas, I struggle here, and I don't understand. Guess what? They're the same struggles that my dad has. Is that a coincidence? Is that learned behavior? I know the moment that my dad gave permission to the enemy to come take up residence in specific areas because he was a mess. He was a pastor. His, oh, guys, this is a tangent time. My dad had an affair, not with a person, but with the church. After my parents divorced and after my dad came back to the Lord and he, he looked back on his life, he said, the church was my mistress. I gave my heart, my energy, my passion, my time to the church, to the expense of my family and my wife. I alienated my family because the church was more important. Jason, you're a pastor. Don't make the same mistake I did. Your family has to have a priority in your life. God, family, ministry. That's the order it should be. Oftentimes, family and ministry, they go hand in hand. But I go back to these moments in my dad's life where permission was given, and I lived under his authority. Guess what? Under his, We'll get to that next week. <sighs> Take the situation before the Lord in prayer. Be open to what God is saying. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. What am I talking about? Last week I shared about how praying for somebody and God gave me a word. I'm like, I'm not going to say that. That sounds ridiculous. Be willing to be uncomfortable. If God is speaking, guess what? If he wants to bring something to somebody, he often uses his people to do it. Be open to what God is saying. <sighs> I'm going to skip over this. I'll, I'll go through it real quick. How do we get words from the Lord? What is a word of God? What is a word from the Lord? I don't understand. You talk about word of knowledge, word of wisdom. What is that, Pastor? A simple word or phrase that comes to your mind. Two weeks ago on Saturday, we were at a, a conference and we were asked to pray for people. And, and I, I shared with you, um, the word that came to my mind was hunger. And the guy said, ha, huh, that's funny. I've been fasting for two weeks. I'm hungry. Okay. A simple word or phrase. Seeing a picture with the eyes of the Spirit. What do I mean? Hey, guys, I, I'm a visual person. If I'm praying for somebody, oftentimes a movie scene will come to my mind. Gabe, I like movies. I like them. And so I remember praying for, it was actually Derek, Mahon, praying for Derek years ago in the movie scene from uh, The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf steps in front of the, the dragon monster, and we've shared this a dozen times, you shall not pass. I go, Derek, this is exactly what I'm picturing right now, and I'm just going to say it, and then as soon as I said it, God gave me the rest. Hey, this is what we're doing right now as elders. We're standing in the gap saying to them, you shall not pass. You will have no right to attack this man in Jesus' name. Oftentimes, God will give you something, and you just need to say it, and then he'll give you the rest. A song or a scripture. Some of you connect with this. You're praying for somebody and a song comes to your mind. What are the lyrics of the song? What's the purpose of the song? A scripture comes to mind. Say the scripture. A pain in your body that's not yours. Check this weirdness out. So yesterday, we're in uh, Pittsburgh, in uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania, visiting my brother. I wake up and I go, I've got the worst headache in the world. For Advil's my friend. Normally within an hour, I'm good. Headache didn't go away. I was getting nauseous because the headache was so strong. This headache lasted all day. We're driving home from Indiana, Pennsylvania, which makes no sense. Why would you name a town Indiana? In driving back from my brother's house, and it's 1030, Miriam's driving, and she asks me how I'm doing. I go, man, I'm still feeling nauseous. I feel sick. Jason, you're, you're preaching on healing tomorrow. Hey, you want to talk to me about this headache thing? God, would you take my headache away? Not what I want you to ask me, Jason. God, what's the purpose? How do you want to be glorified through this? Side note, 
if you deal with major headaches from here down that make you so sick, your stomach turns, I want to pray for you at the end of the service. I believe God may want to heal you. A pain in your body that's not yours, I never get those headaches. I get headaches all the time, but I don't get those headaches. I want to talk to you after the service, if that's you. Spontaneous utterance, again, I look at that and I go, uh, what just came out of my mouth? I had no, God sometimes will just say something he wants to say through you. Let it happen. A person or situation that reminds you of someone else or someone else, a prophetic parallel. This is one of my favorites. As you're praying for somebody, God will bring somebody else to your mind. God, I'm, I'm praying for Paige. Why are you bringing my sister to mind? Well, what's going on in your sister's life right now? That's the same thing that's happening here. I'm not saying that that's happening right now, but understand this, that God will speak to you. How does God speak to us? How do we get words? This is simple, basic stuff, and this should be normal for us, that we are a praying people, that we have an expectation that God will move. And so there it is. I'll just read Mark 8. I'll give you the summary again. Sometimes it's progressive. This is where Jesus spit in the man's eyes, and he said, what do you see? I see things like trees walking around. So Jesus does it again, put his hands on his eyes, and all of a sudden he saw clearly. Sometimes healing is progressive. So I'm going to ask you these three things. Um, Oh, yeah, don't forget the basics. Sometimes it's because the person doesn't know Jesus. (laughs) And God wants to reveal himself. Hey, what do you want Jesus to do? I don't know. You have a relationship with him. What does that mean? If you have people who are sick in your life and you ask, can I pray for you? I believe that God can heal you. What a great segue into the conversation of salvation. Maybe there's an issue of repentance, reunification, forgiveness, restitution. I don't know. I'm going to end with this. Postbird counseling, what just happened, what didn't happen. Talk about it. Give godly counsel and hope. Final thoughts. One, listen more than you talk. (laughs) Risk more than your comfort zone is willing. Value and love the person whether they are healed or not. So here's, I'm going to leave this up here. This is how we're going to end the service this morning. Some of you are going, man, I need prayer. Hey, we want to pray for you. Some of you are going, I just have this overwhelming burden to pray for people. Guess what? I want you to pray for people. One of my friends talks about, God, is this for me or is this for you? Or is this for somebody else? This discerning time. If any of you are are feeling something strange in your body that you're not used to feeling, maybe your hands are hot or maybe your knee hurts or something, I don't know. Ask around, hey, uh, anybody need prayer for their knee? I don't know. Maybe God's bringing back to your mind something that you went through where you saw great transformation in your life right now. Maybe it was an emotional thing that took place in your life. Maybe there's somebody else in this room who needs prayer because they're going through that same situation. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Guys, we need to do this together. Let me give you all the information up front. 1152. You may go. I need to leave. Feel free. If you'd like prayer, I want to have Alan.